Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, Mike, it is March Madness right now, and we have a March Madness show, and now we have many guests today, lots to talk about. Mike, no time to waste. Let's get right into it. Why don't you introduce our first guest who's on the line? Yeah, we've got a superfecta of the athletic guests coming in here. Uh, previous guest of ours, Lindsay Jones. She covers the NFL, and I screwed up her Twitter handle, so nice job. I'm going to apologize to her Mike. publicly. Well Lindsay Jones. Come on, Mike. Come on, Mike. <laughs> Lindsay, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. We're kind of up against it because of March Madness, so we want to get right I to know. it. Well, we're in this little break. break right now, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hey, who's your winner, by the way? Who's your winner, by the way? I picked Duke, but I, I'm already regretting it. I, I, apparently, I should have picked Murray State. Cause right? <laughs> I know. You know. I was actually going to ask you guys. Who's, Nobody who, can guard Jaw, Lindsay. I saw that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, so our, yeah, my colleague Nicole Auerbach tra- tracked down the uh, the security guard, who's the only guy who can actually guard him. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, who's a bigger badass, Ja Morant or Jora Mormont? <laughs> Ooh, Game of Thrones fans out there. That's, yeah, that's that's a mouthful, though, too. Um, I'm yeah. going to go with Ja Morant way, right now, man. Yeah, I know, huh? It sounds like he'd win any battle. I have no idea what the cartoon that you tweeted out, by the way, but I'll have to look that up later on. Lindsay, let's talk, let's talk NFL. Um, winners and losers in, in free agency. What, uh, where do you come out on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it was kind of an interesting week because it was really all kind of, I mean, the, the exciting part was really kind of over before it really started. Um, you know, I think there's some teams that made, some, you know, a couple head-scratching moves. I think Washington with the Landon Collins deal. I mean, it makes sense of why they'd want him, but the deal was, it seemed, it, it felt out of line with um, maybe what, but the rest of the safety market and maybe what uh, maybe what Landon Collins is worth. Um, so that was kind of a surprising deal. You know, the, the Raiders were really interesting. You know, they, I think they got significantly better. They also probably have potential for a lot more drama now after adding Antonio Brown, uh, Trent Brown, and Bontez Burfecht. So I don't know <laughs> if I throw them in the winner or losers category, but I think they got better, but they also have potentially more combustible when you add Antonio Brown and Bontez Burfecht to that roster. Okay, let's talk about the big move and a team that actually really seemed to go for it. I think what I liked is that the two teams that we saw seem like they got their franchise QBs last year in the Browns and the Jets. They both made some big moves this year in free agency. So in particular, the Browns first with the ODB move, but then those two teams overall who seem like they may be locked in now with Baker and with Darnold kind of leading the way. What do you think of what they did in the offseason? Yeah, huge. I mean, I, I love that move for the Browns. Like, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, it's, it's much more affordable than it initially looks where you think, oh, my God, Beckham, you must have to pay him a fortune. Well, the Giants did you a big favor and paid him the $21 million signing bonus part last year of that $90 million contract. So um, Beckham's contract is actually not that – I mean, it's, they're still paying him a lot, you know, but he's also a you know, top five player. So, you know, I, I love that move. You add him into a, an offense that was already 
looking very dynamic, you know, with uh, Jarvis Landry, who's, you know, Beckham's best friend back from, you know, LSU. Uh, you know, you've got, they've got a good running game. They're going to get Kareem, back, Kareem uh, Hunt back after eight games. He's going to miss eight games. But, you know, you think, you know, halfway through the season, they're probably going to be in that uh, AFC North playoff hunt. You're all of a sudden going to be adding back a very good, um, albeit troubled off the field, but a very good and now fresh player in Kareem Hunt. Um, so the big wild card, though, with the Browns right now, and it's crazy that the one the one thing that nobody knows right now is what Freddie Kitchens is going to be like as a full-time head coach. That's really the only question that you really have about the Browns right now is they've just shored up so many pieces on their roster so I love it I'm so excited to watch them I can't wait to see the schedule when it comes out how many times we're going to get to see them in prime time because they are going to be must watch um, must watch viewing for sure how about the team in your locale the Denver Broncos Uh, obviously a lot lot of changes starting with Vic Fangio but walk us through what you think of of the Flacco move all the way on through uh, the big uh, right tackle signing yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't love the Joe Flacco trade. I get why they did it. They felt like it was an immediate upgrade. They don't have to pay a lot to do it. Um, but, you know, we're just here, you know, several years into this in the post-Peyton Manning era, and they're really still searching for a long-term solution. And, you know, they're, they kind of said the same things when Joe Flacco was introduced last week that they said a year ago when Case Keenum came in here. It was like, yeah, you know, we think he's going to be our long-term answer. His contract isn't long, but we think he's got a lot of great football left in him and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I just think that the Broncos need a lot more, you know, offensive changes than what, than maybe what they've already done. Um, you know, I think, I think they'll be better with Flacco than they were with Case Keenum, but they were so boring last year and just really not a good offense last year. So, you know, I think maybe it's kind of somewhat incremental. Um, I like some of the things that, you know, I like the Juwan James signing. They paid a lot for him, but they have to get right tackle figured out. It's just been a complete revolving door. I think this is four years in a row now that they've signed a guy intending to be their starting right tackle. The first three didn't work out. So, you know, hopefully for their sake and Juwan James's sake that he'll be here for longer than a year as their starter. Um, and I like a couple of the things that they did on defense. They knew that they had to get deeper and better at cornerback. Um, they went ahead and did that with Kareem Jackson and then with Bryce Callahan. Um, so those are two, you know, pretty important moves at important positions. What we've yeah. seen so far in the, in the NFL and especially in the last few years is that it's the turnover is crazy. It's really hard to stay on top when you're like the really top tier teams um, it, it's tough to stay there. We saw the Rams, the Saints, the Pats, and the Chiefs as kind of the final four last year. So far of those teams, who do you think is set up the best moving forward now for this year and, and maybe even the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the Rams. I like what they've done. You know, they're obviously they're, they've lost in Dominican Sue, who has not yet signed anywhere, but the intention is he will not be back in L.A. But they've, they've signed a couple good pieces on defense that should keep them um, this should actually make them better, I think, but also keep them very competitive there with um, Eric Weddle, who will be a really good uh, piece on their back end. I think he'll fit really well with what Wade Phillips wants to do. And then Clay Matthews, who, you know, his, his production decreased the end of his time, you know, end of his 10th year, I guess, in Green Bay. But yeah, I think he still can contribute a lot, especially if they don't ask him to do too much. So they can kind of pair him there as a, as a secondary, you know, as their other Ed rusher with Dante Fowler and, you know, really kind of take a little bit of that pressure off of Aaron Donald of having to be, you know, the bulk of their pass rush. So I like those moves that the, uh, that the, um, that the Rams make, I think they should right be right back in it again. Um, you know, the chiefs though, I have some big questions about what they've done on defense. You know, when you, when you move on from Justin Houston, which wasn't entirely surprising. Um, and, but then you trade D Ford you know, I, I think there's just a lot of questions about what their pass rush is going to look like. You know, Chris Jones is a really good 
interior defensive linemen. Um, but you went from having, you know, one of the best pass rush duos in the league to kind of having to rebuild your edge rush. And so I've got some big questions there. I mean, they might not care. They might say, hey, we're going to score 45 points a game. So it's not really going to matter what our defense, you know, our pass rush looks like. You know, they're really focusing on addressing the back end of that defense instead. But, you know, until I see maybe who they, you know, if they can go out and trade for somebody else or who they're going to get, you know, in the draft, you know, it's a really deep draft draft of pass rushers. But, you know, they're not picking till you know, very late in that first round. You know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of what that pass rush for the Chiefs is going to look like. Well, Lindsay, and whether it be the Chiefs or, or a very strong AFC West, we're going to want to bring you back in and, and talk more about this perhaps after the draft if you've got some time. Why don't you let the listeners know how they could follow you during the course of the season? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ByLindsayHJones, um, and all of our NFL content is over at TheAthletic.com. Hopefully you could spell her Twitter handle better than I can. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks. Bye. Gino, let's keep with the all-athletic, all-star guest lineup rolling and bring in Melissa Lockhart covering the Oakland A's for the athletic San Francisco Bay Area. Melissa, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Now, have you been staying up all night watching these games, or are you kind of looking at the box scores (laughs) and, and, and reading up about it afterwards? I was doing my best, but I'm not as young as I used to be, and I have to admit, I, I, I think I had to catch up on a lot of it. <laughs> well, so, overall, go ahead, Gino. Overall, I mean, after last year, in a year where Oakland overachieved so much, and they had such an amazing year, what does what is the the feeling right now at the beginning of this season? Um, just like, what's the overall vibe? I think headed to Japan, it was uh, very optimistic. I think, obviously, um, the news about Matt Olson having to leave that game um, with a sore right hand and not knowing exactly what the extent of that injury kind of puts a pall over things. Um, the fact that Jesus Lazardo is also dealing with a shoulder thing doesn't help either. But, uh, you know, up until that point, I think they were feeling really good about how their lineup was going to look, how their bullpen was going to look, and, and they were going to kind of roll the dice with their rotation in hopes that they could get at least short enough stints from the guys that they have at various points in the season to make it work. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of questions that are answered once they get back to the Bay Area and can find out, you know, how long, if at all, they're going to be without Olsen and uh, sort of figure out things from there. But, um, you know, certainly going up until that point, they were pretty optimistic. Well, where, where in the rotation was Jesus uh, projected to uh, be pitching anyways? You know, it's not clear that he would have necessarily opened the season in, in the rotation. I think the bigger concern is, is this something that is going to lead to a, a longer-term thing throughout the year, or is it just a little hiccup that, you know, will allow them to essentially push off the, the part of the season that he would be pitching regularly to the end of the year as opposed to the beginning? Because he, he did pitch on a limited number of inning count last year coming off of, uh, he had Tommy John surgery in 2016. So he was only at 110 innings last year in the minor leagues. I think he probably would have projected to be at 150 so you know if, if if this shoulder thing resolves itself and it's not a problem again the 150 innings coming june on would actually probably be more beneficial to them than uh having him start the season and have to shut it down early but when you're talking about a 21 year old and you're talking about a shoulder issue i think there's just the concern is uh is this something that's you know minor or is it going to linger long term so um you know they'll, they'll have a few weeks where he doesn't throw they'll see how it heals and you know hopefully it was just a, a matter of overexertion but um, they'll have to wait and see on that. Now, in the American League in particular, it looks again 
kind of similar to last year in that I think it's really top-heavy. It looks like you have the Yankees, the Red Sox, probably the Astros. The Indians are good, but they maybe even a little bit down. But in particular, the division, again, isn't that strong. How do you see it kind of playing out overall in the division and then maybe even on a bigger scale in the American League? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty much correct. Uh, you know, I think the ALS is a little hard to judge because the, the Angels and the Mariners in particular made so many different moves that yeah. I think until you sort of see how those rosters come together, it's it's a little hard to assess how, how good they could be. I think the, the Mariners are probably in a transition year, but, you know, the Angels still have Mike Trout, and I think at any point that you have a Mike Trout, um, you know, you, you can't count them out for kind of coming up with, with a surprising year. So, um, you know, I, I think that the, the division is obviously the Astros are going to be the class of the division, um, and everybody started chasing after them. And I think, you know, the A's showed that they would be in that upper half last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the AL Central is, is kind of the weakest division by a lot, and, and you're looking at sort of those top AL uh, East and AL West teams kind of battling it out right now. You know, from a philosophical perspective, you know, when you approach a season like this and you're the Oakland A's, you know, are you looking at it from the, hey, what do we have to do to get to the wild card game and then let the chips fall where it may? Uh, you know, we'll, let's, we'll figure out if we're buyers and sellers at the all-star break. It kind of seems like it's kind of a similar story year in, year out. And I had this question posed to me actually from somebody on Twitter, which is, why do I keep calling the A's a small market team when they're from the Bay Area, which is one of the top five media markets in, in the country? Is it going to take a new stadium to kind of get the A's to shift into becoming a bigger player? Or how do you think philosophically this organization is going to change that mindset? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's not a small market by any means. You can divide the Bay Area in half, and it's still bigger than the majority of all the markets that, that are out there. That being said, the A's have a small media share within that market, and I think that's where the distinction really has to lie. The, the Giants have dominated that uh, aspect of the Bay Area for, you know, pretty much the entire existence of the two franchises here in the Bay Area. And, you know, the, the, that has really... Uh, hurt the A's ability to kind of generate the same type of revenue that, that the Giants do across the Bay. That being said, I think the, the new, um, you know, group of marketing and front office people that have come in uh, over the last couple of years as they've been pushing for this new stadium have brought in a lot of really innovative and, and fun um, marketing aspects to the team. The fact that they're actually committed to staying in Oakland now makes it easier, I think, for fans to decide they want to root for the team. You know, I think there was a lot of push-pull over the last few years about, you know, wanting to give your heart to something that's going to leave. So um, eliminating a lot of that and a new stadium would certainly do that, I think will allow them to kind of grab that market share uh, a little more strongly. You know, they've talked about uh, putting together their own radio station, which would bring in more revenue. Um, There's obviously going to be changes in the way that uh, TV games are sort of uh, consumed by people in, in a few years, and their TV contract right now is, is very much not variable in terms of revenue. So uh, there's a lot of streams that I think will become open to them um, in the next few years if everything falls into the plan that, you know, the, these new, uh, you know, the, David Caval's team and everybody else has been putting together, uh, but they're not quite there yet. So, you know, they're still, I think, operating in that year-to-year kind of um, budgetary system where, you know, they've got core guys that they want to keep, but they can't necessarily go out and just, you know, buy up all the last little pieces to put it all together like you would maybe be able to see across the bay if they were in a similar situation right now. 
you talked a little bit before about the rotation in particular. Like, how do you feel about the rotation going into the year? We saw last year some situations where they were doing maybe the opener type thing, and they were just real strong bullpen, so they were able to piece things together this year. Is, is that like a similar type game plan with the staff? Um, how do you see it kind of playing out? I think initially that's what you're looking at, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you've got Mike Fires and, and Marco Estrada at the top of the rotation as two veteran guys that I think they're hoping and to, to get 150-plus innings from. Um, and, you know, that those will sort of be your traditional guys. I think if Brad Anderson's healthy, they would like to see him do something similar. But, of course, that's always been a sort of a year-to-year proposition with him. Um, but those last two spots in the rotation, I expect, are sort of going to be a revolving door, and and you you may see the opener from time to time to time. Um, I think you're also going to just see a lot of really quick hooks. You know, you're going to see guys that um, maybe do make the start, but if they get through three, four innings, then great. You know, they're not going to try to push them to get six and seven innings out of those spots necessarily. Um, but then again, there's a lot of guys that I think if things break the right way for them, there's a chance for them to develop into more than just a three or four inning guy. I mean, a guy like Frankie Montas has always had the stuff to be a mid-rotation starter that you could count on for, you know, five-plus innings in an outing, uh, but he just hasn't put it together yet. I think Chris Bassett kind of falls into that same sort of bucket. Um, and, you know, if everything broke right and one of those guys became a traditional starter, I think they would prefer to go with five starters that do the normal five-starter thing. But they're kind of looking at a, at a mixed mash of um, different personnel at this point that they haven't quite been able to, to you know, put 150 innings in five spots with yet. Um, you're also looking at a lot of guys coming back from injury midway through the season that if you know everything breaks right, you might be able to integrate a Darrell Cotton or an A.J. Puck or like we talked about with Lazardo in, in June or July. <clears throat> and certainly that, that will change the makeup of a rotation midway through the season and may allow them to essentially rebuild their rotation in June or July without actually having to go out and make trades, which would be you know obviously a nice boon to them. But I think it's a lot of wait and see, and it's certainly not – you know, like you're going into it with a Red Sox rotation of, okay, I know who we're going with here, and, and we can see where our postseason future is with these five guys. Um, it, it's very much going to be in flux throughout the year, I think. Melissa, before we let you go, any uh, predictions on how the A season kind of shakes out? And uh, maybe you could also leave us with a March Madness pick. <laughs> well, uh, my March Madness picks are, are notoriously bad, so I'll, I'll pick Duke, and you can laugh when they lose. When they lose before <laughs> yeah. sixteen, um, we can blame yeah. it on you. But uh, exactly, exactly. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I still, unless the, all the injury news continues to snowball on them, I, you know, I, I still see them as a ninety-win team. I think they still have a very good shot of getting one of those two wild card spots. Um, and, you know, I think the offense is going to be uh, one of the top lineups in, in the American League. And I think that bullpen will be good enough to sort of keep the rotation afloat, you know, long enough to keep them competitive. And there are enough bad teams in the AL that they should be able to pick up a lot of wins that way um, as well. So uh, I'm still optimistic, despite, you know, a, a bad 24 hours for the overall health of the organization that, that they'll have a solid year. Well, I must say, what the A's do year in, year out is pretty remarkable. Melissa, thank you for uh, coming on with us. We appreciate it. We'll have to check back in with you as the season progresses and enjoy uh, seeing how far Duke gets for you. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate you thank having you. me on. Thanks, Melissa. Gino, let's take our first commercial break, and we will be back with Eno Saris right after this. Follow 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Thank you to Lindsey Jones and Melissa Lockhart. Great guests in our first segment. Mike, I know we have our next guest waiting on the line. Why don't you introduce him? Yeah, we got Eno Saris, a good friend of the show. Talks anything baseball, baseball analytics, fantasy, you name it. Great writer for The Athletic. Love having him on. G- Eno, good afternoon. How are you? He, I, see what he did there? Gino, yeah, Eno, Gino, Gino he, Ryan. He was calling you Gino. That's what he was doing. <laughs> I was actually talking to both of you. I'm asking both of you, how's, how's it going? <laughs> We're both great. Yeah, yeah good to hear it. Good to hear it. So let's get things going here. Uh, a, a lot to talk about especially when it comes to a lot of these um, extensions that are going on and uh, teams are trying to keep their best players. What do you, what do you, what's your take on the news that Mookie Betts wants to wait? Obviously not a very, very big surprise because now it leaves him as the only horse and not in a non-crowded field. Well, I think the one, I think it's actually really good news that Mookie wants to go to free agency because the extension that Trout signed, even though it was huge and it's the biggest deal ever, it wasn't necessarily the biggest deal ever once you account for inflation. Uh, A-Rod's first deal with Texas is still, was still a bigger deal. And uh, it almost ends up being a kind of soft cap because it's like, how is anybody going to get more money per year or more in total if they're not better than Mike Trout, who's the best player in the game? So Mookie going, he's the only one who could say, well, 
you know, either I'm younger or I've had, now I've had a couple of years where I'm better than Trout. He's the only one that could maybe push that 430 number further. Everybody else sees these extensions, sees how bad free agency has gotten, sees, you know, what's going on out there and says, hey, I'll take the extension money now, please. Yeah, my only concern with that, you know, is this, and I'm a huge Mookie Betts fan, but doesn't it seem like, you know, Trout, from a consistency perspective, has done it better for a lot longer? So it's really hard for someone who's had, you know, two brilliant years and two pretty good years to even think that by the time they're 28, especially with baseball heads, you know, kind of using that 30 to 32 range as kind of the over the hill mark now, to think that at 28, he's going to be able to even touch that mark. Uh, it is a bet on himself. Uh, these guys are all very, uh, very confident. And I would say that, like I said, he's the only guy who's really in the, in the conversation. I think Trout is a, consist- is a consensus number one. But if you gave Mookie another season of 10 wins like he had, like he had last year, if, you, if he redid what he did last year, I think he could say to them, at least let's start talking at $400 million. And since he's no longer just talking to the Angels or just talking to the Red Sox, he might say, okay, I'm starting the bidding at 400. That's less than Trout. It's 400. But, oh, oh, wait, oh, you want me? Oh, you want me? You want me? So, and there's also a chance that um, things clear up financially for certain clubs. Some teams have come under the financial cap, under the sort of luxury tax cap, may have reset by then the Cubs, uh, the Dodgers, the Yankees. They've all tried to sort of reset their finances. Um, so that, you know, if you get the Yankees and the Dodgers bidding against each other, you may go, you may go past trap. On an overall sense, a couple teams I wanted to ask you about how you think they are going to fare this, uh, this year. Let's start in the American league. And I think one of the weaker, maybe the weakest divisions in all of baseball is the AL central. I think a live team in here is the twins this year. They, I kind of like a couple of the moves they've made. The Indians might be a little bit down with their lineup. They, the Indians have, do have a good pitching staff. But how do you think the Indians have done in the offseason? Do they have enough pitching? And it, do they get enough with Marwin Gonzalez, Scope, uh, Nelson Cruz? Is, is that going to be enough to maybe get them either a wild card or maybe uh, to, to win the division? Yeah, actually, the Twins right now, I think, in Vegas are sort of uh, over-unders around 83 and a half, 84. And I have them as one of my favorite overs. And the reason I have them as an over is that they're, they've got more young players that are better than average than any other team in baseball. I think when I last looked, they have six players that are under 27 that are projected to be better than average. And I think that's important because only when you're younger than 26 is there a chance that you're better than your projections. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm getting older myself, and I, I know every year I'm like, this is going to be this is going to be the best year. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'll just handle just as good as last year. <laughs> um, and so I, I think with, with these guys, with these young guys, you know, uh, there's a chance that they're better. And the, the chance is that Sano comes back and he's healthy. And there's a chance that Polanco has another gear. And there's a chance that Eddie Rosario has another gear. Um, and it, it's good, just good to have this team of young players. Jose Barrios could have another gear. So all these guys, uh, they've given themselves a chance. I doubt it's enough to, even with the Indians kind of taking a pass on the, on the, on the offseason kind of, um, I, I feel like it's hard to get up to that 90-win plateau. But, you know, things just bounce right a little bit. 
Um, you know, I like some of their bullpen arms. Matt McGill and Tyler Rogers, I think, could really uh, have great years. And if they have, like, a killer bullpen and just enough out of their starting rotation, maybe they get to 90 wins and maybe, you know, the Indians find out that it, it is better to actually have outfielders, you know, maybe. I think he just made Gino very happy. He's been very high on the Twins. We were talking about the A's with <laughs> Melissa. Now we talk about the Twins. Let's talk about the A's and the Twins of the AL East, which is the the Rays. Uh, what insight do you have on this uh, Blake Snell extension? Because we heard about this $15,000 bump that was meaningless I mean, you know, about 10 days ago. And then all of a sudden today we're talking about a five-year, $50 million contract extension. What insight do you have as to how that all played out? Not much in terms of how it played out with them, but I do know that they sort of offer that kind of deal to everybody. That's the Chris Archer deal, the first Evan Longoria deal. They've made these offers to almost all of their young stars where they say, hey, give us a year or two of your free agency. We'll lock down all your arbitration years at what you think is a fair rate, and uh, you'll get a big, you'll, you know, you'll get this, this guaranteed money. And if we're right, we get a real, we get a great young player for an extra year or two. And so, you know, Longoria, I think, gave away maybe maybe three years, and Archer gave away, I think, two or three years. In this case, Snell, I think, is maybe a little bit smarter than those guys and just gave up one year. Or maybe, you know, the rest of the league is doing it, and so, you know, anyway, I think Snell did a good job. I mean, if he, he only gave up one year of free agency, and for that he gets a lot of guaranteed money. If there's a TJ in there, there's something like that, he, he'll still get his money. Now my uh, National League team, I'm, I'm a Dodger fan, so I'm always, always rooting for them. But just on paper, a team that I think is going to have a monster year this year, you know, the, the only thing that worries me a little bit is that the division seems to be pretty tough in that I don't think there's any down divisions in the NL Central, but I really like the Cardinals. They've made a couple nice moves. They seem like they have depth. Um, they have, I think, a nice combination of like of youth and veterans. There's a well-run organization all around. Pitching-wise, like how do they stack up? And and what are your thoughts overall on this Cardinals team? This is a team that I'm I'm betting to win uh, and like some of their their World Series futures because I think they're very very live. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I had a sort of dark horse pick on them for the World Series. Uh, uh, a while ago, but I, the the thing that bothers me a little bit is the Carlos Martinez injury. The, yeah. the, the Cardinals are really good at producing like league average guys. They're good at producing like number four pitchers. They're good at producing an average outfielder. They can they can turn those guys out. What they've done in the recent years, I think, is sort of package those guys to try and get stars. So they packaged them and got Goldschmidt. They packaged them and got Ozuna. And I think that's been really smart. Uh, but they really need that upside in the rotation. I think right now Flaherty could be an ace. Uh, he's throwing a new split finger in the spring. He's, his velocity is even up a little bit, and I really like his athleticism and command. So if he kind of steps in and is an ace, that's fine, but it would be great to have Carlos Martinez at the front of that rotation too. I'm not as worried about, like, back-of-the-rotation guys, um, you know, because I just feel like they can always like Dakota Hudson. I think he'll probably be fine. You know, they'll they'll, they'll find guys that can do or the back a spot of the rotation. Or in here and there later in the year, or someone like yeah. that. <clears throat> yeah, and, and well, I mean, Reyes could be it too. But the, the Reyes, they seem like what I what I'm hearing is that Reyes is going to be uh, kind of like a fireman in the bullpen. He's going to be uh, yeah. 
a middle innings, you know, roving guy, which, you know, that's, that's important in today's game, and, and he could be really, really good for them, kind of like Woodruff was last year for, the, uh, for Milwaukee or whatever, kind of like a righty hater or something. But uh, at the same time, it would be great to have that number two. I don't think Miles Mikolas is, is really like a, you know, okay, who's our, number, who's our game number two starter in the postseason, you know? One more Dark Horse team that I'm uh, really interested in uh, from a futures perspective is the uh, Kansas City Royals right down the road. They're from St. Louis. They've got a pretty good young lineup. And this is a team that just won the World Series just a few short years ago. How how impressive has this really quick rebuild been uh, in your eyes? And I know we're not already there. It's not like they're they're a playoff team or a World Series contender yet, but it seems like they've made a lot of good moves and developed a lot of good young players. They've got they've got some guys. That Alberto Montesi is definitely an interesting guy. Um, they've also got uh, some guys that are a weird fit for me. I mean, Jorge Soler is already sort of running out of chances. Um, Whit Merrifield is a little bit older than people expect. I think he's already uh, 28 or 29, kind of a late breakout. Um, and then they <clears throat> they filled it in with a lot of speed, which is counter to what most. Uh, most teams are doing right now. Most teams are kind of piecing out on speed, and uh, I guess it might play in that big in that big ballpark. I think they're fascinating from that sort of aspect. How is it going to look when you have three outfielders that have a combined, you know, thirty homers at the end of the season? Um, and uh, does that work? Uh, it didn't. It, it worked for a little bit for the Giants and Royals, but that seemed to be a really long time ago. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'll so slug I them, I'll run uh, them, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I think is the most interesting thing about them. I think they might be pretty bad this year, but it is funny to me that the AL Central is such a weak division, and I think we were just talking about the NL Central. I think that's going to be the toughest division in baseball this year. I think I think somebody might win that division with 87 wins, and I think you know even the bottom team will be in it until September or so. So I have no idea who's going to win that division, and I'll be watching it all year. Good stuff, Eno. If you want to uh, follow Eno, he is a great follow on Twitter, Eno Saris. We really appreciate you having a, a, a few minutes to, to share with us, and we'd like to um, sync back up with you a lo- little bit later on during the season, if time permits. Eno, thank you very much. Thanks, appreciate Eno. you joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I just put a piece up on The Athletic. If people want to check it out, it's all about data ownership, all these all these wearable gadgets that people have got right now, there's a big issue right now about who gets that data, who gets to own it, uh, if the players get access to it. So a uh, big piece that just, just went up and uh, would appreciate people checking it out and uh, seeing me on Twitter. Thanks a lot for having me. We'll check that out and retweet it as well. Thanks, you know, Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Let's get to our next The Athletic writer, and that is Zach Buchanan, who covers the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach How's it going? It's going all right. How are you guys? Very good. Thank you. It's going to be a Wild West season once again. Padres have made a lot of moves. The Dodgers are the Dodgers. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Arizona training camp. You have the benefit of it being right in your backyard. I do, yeah. Although uh, the commutes from my house can still be really annoying. Um, honestly, probably the biggest Diamondbacks news today uh, happened with the Cardinals and extending Paul Goldschmidt. And uh, that kind of has a reverberation effect over here, and people are very interested and want to know uh, 
uh, well, you know, if he got that from the Cardinals, why couldn't the Diamondbacks have given it to him? And I don't think we're going to really get answers to that, at least until his deal goes official. But uh, it's probably the thing that most Diamondbacks fans were paying attention to this afternoon. Were they kind of secretly hoping that he'd be back on the club next year? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think every fan would prefer uh, that Paul Goldschmidt be on this team uh, if it were up to them. Uh, I mean, he's, a, he's the reason a lot of fans came to the park. Uh, he's the, the homegrown star, probably the best homegrown player that this club uh, has ever had and will have for some uh, for a long time. Uh, and uh, I think that they part of why they traded him is they, they didn't think that they would uh, be able to lock him up. And we don't know whether that's because they thought his price was going to be too much or because they thought he wasn't going to be open to an extension period. So that's kind of the stuff that uh, we'd like to you know, hear from uh, Derek Hall and Mike Hazen about. Uh, but we won't get those answers. Uh, they almost assuredly will not say a word on the subject until his deal is locked in. And, you know, at first glance, when, with Goldschmidt moving and in the last couple of years, a lot of the uh, kind of the bigger name pieces moving around, you think it's almost like a rebuilding type year. But when, when you look through this lineup, this is still a pretty solid pitching staff. This is still a decent bullpen. And this is still a lineup that doesn't really have a lot of down spots like how do you project just overall this year moving forward because this is a division that even the Dodgers they could they have a lot of question marks right now their pitching staff they have some injuries they might not be you know as good of a regular season team there's a lot of question marks in the division where do you think kind of Arizona is going to land uh that's a that's a difficult one you're right that kind of you look at their roster, and it, it doesn't look like the roster of a rebuilding team necessarily. If they were rebuilding, they would have traded David Peralta, Jake Lamb, Steven Souza, Frankie Bradley, Robbie yeah. Ray, all these guys who were two years from free agency or, or close to that. All those guys would have been playing somewhere else this spring. And they haven't done that. They've tried to put together a respectable roster, and, and the lineup especially, like you mentioned, is filled with a bunch of uh, good to average big league hitters. Um, but I wouldn't say that uh, they, they really don't have the star power. I mean, they, they lost a lot of star power this winter with Patrick Corbin leaving in free agency, A.J. Pollock leaving in free agency, and then trading Paul Goldschmidt, uh, among other valuable players they lost. Uh, and so you wonder how, if, if with all those great players, they only went 82 and 80, how is this team going to do any better than that? And maybe some of these young guys, they acquired surprise, and maybe they get enough bounce backs uh, from guys like Souza and Lamb, uh, who didn't really perform that well last season, and it, it all clicks. Or maybe not enough things click, and this team is, uh, is pretty bad. I mean, it, it could go pretty much any way you can think of. Um, I still think the Dodgers and the Rockies are the favorites in the division. The, the Padres certainly got better, but I'm not sure that they are all the way to being able to overtake the Diamondbacks just because they, their pitching staff uh, is not quite as good. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be harder for the Diamondbacks this year than it has in the last couple of years to make the postseason. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, obviously uh, you're going to have to have some pitching to uh, you know win some games in the NL West. Yeah, you're obviously going to have to outslug some teams as well. And when I look at this lineup here, you know, I mean, where do they top out? You know, uh, I guess who's who, who do you think could be an all-star from this team offensively? Well, I think David Peralta certainly has that capability. 
uh, he arguably should have been an all-star last year. Uh, and then Jake Lamb made the all-star team in 17 before he got hurt. Uh, you know, he was hurt for just about every every game but five last last season and really, was really never like, looked like himself. And we can probably just throw that season in the trash and, and never think about it again. Um, but those two guys have uh, have shown that they can perform at that level. Zach Grinke certainly could be an all-star. Robbie Ray could be an all-star if he bounces back. Uh, I mean, they've, they've got talented players for sure. Archie Bradley could be an all-star closer maybe. Um, it's just that uh, it's, it's not a lot of guys that you can look at and say, oh, I know this guy is going to be an all-star like you could with Goldschmidt. You could pencil him into the all-star game every year. And they, they really don't have those type of players. When some of the big players go out, a lot of times you get some youth coming in or maybe even more opportunities for some of the youth. Who is a name of someone that we may keep an eye on for the future? Maybe a young player that's going to get a little more opportunity this year or a pitcher maybe at the back end of the rotation, like someone to keep an eye on for us uh, who has some nice upside. Well, that's the weird thing about this team is they don't have a lot of those guys either. Uh, they, yeah, right? On paper, they, they doesn't look a like couple, it. Yeah, they have a couple. I mean, I would say Cattell Marte has still not really tapped into his full potential yet. He's going to play all over the diamond. He's a switch hitter, and I think a lot of people think there's more in the bat than he's shown. He's still only, I think, 25 this year. Uh, uh, he's still very young, and so th- there could be great things from him if things go the right way. And the other guy I would say is Carson Kelly, who was part of the Goldschmidt trade. Uh, he, is, he has, I think, 131 plate appearances in the majors, but those are spread over three seasons. His numbers at the plate are bad, but he never got to play regularly in the big leagues, so he's never really had his chance. But he has, for a long time, been seen as a future everyday big league catcher and will probably get that opportunity now to play much more regularly than he did in St. Louis. Those are the two guys that I think maybe have that potential a little bit. But mostly, I mean, you look at this roster, they went out and got Wilmer Flores, and they went out and got Adam Jones, and uh, a bunch of guys who have been around a little bit trying to kind of add along the edges to make this roster competitive. It, it, they got Greg Holland. It's, it, there's not a lot of young, exciting players that are ready to step into big roles for this team yet. Yeah, I, I think they're really going to need Carson Kelly to uh, step in there because Alex Avila went from uh, pretty good to like really old, seems like overnight. Yeah, yeah. There's a little, Alex Avila had maybe some bad luck that made his year look worse than it was, but I, I don't think that there was enough bad luck to, to where you could wipe it away and say, actually, he was pretty good last year. So they need him to step up for sure, um, but uh, they don't need it as much as they did maybe a year ago because, Carson Kelly has a bit of that potential. Sure. So when all is said and done, where do they finish up in the AL West? I mean, NL West, excuse me. Uh, that's tough. I, I, I think they'll be third place uh, if I had to guess. And I would guess like in wins somewhere between 75 and like 78 wins. Uh, but, I mean, if enough things fall right, I mean, they could be a really good team. Uh, maybe, maybe they could be the Oakland A's from a year ago. Uh, and then on the flip side, if a lot of things go wrong, they could be challenging for the first overall pick. I mean, it's really hard to tell. Well, they have a Diamondbacks fan. He's given you some reason to uh, be optimistic going into this year. And, hey, anytime you have an ace like Zach Granke, you never know what can happen if uh, the young guys rally behind him. Thank you so much, Zach. Always appreciate you having thanks, uh, you on the show with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, outstanding. 
Gino, let's take our final commercial break and we'll talk a little Game of Thrones and March Madness. Stay with us. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-888- 346-9144 That's 1-888-346-9144 Or send an email to Mike at the com. Now, back to this week's program. We're rolling along here on March the 21st and now it's time for a little March Madness and then into the Game of Thrones. So Mike, we won't have time to really and, and the, the brackets have started and everything so we won't really have to dive into anything before but for me like if you're if you're someone and you're playing your brackets and you're in like a big pool and right now you your first round games you might have had to pick but you might still be able to change games moving forward um and and who you have in the next rounds i think some of the keys and even in in playing the games moving forward got it like we we did in football and and we both had pretty good years betting the football games gotta try to be a little contrarian Right when everyone's going one way, you have to try to zet, uh, gotta go to the uh, other way. So if you know you're playing in a group with a bunch of people and you're in Kentucky, you know it's probably likely that there's going to be a lot of Kentucky selections there. You know, so it might be better for you to not go Kentucky all the way just to give yourself a chance to win the whole thing. Right? It depends on how you want to play it. Do you? If you're wanting to win the whole thing, you have to go one way when everybody else goes the other way. And uh, and a couple teams that I like and I think may be interesting. LSU we saw win today, and Purdue. 
they're three seeds, but everybody seems really cold on them, in particular because LSU is in the middle of this scandal where their coach is suspended. He was in a wiretap talking about paying per- players. I think it would be really funny for LSU to make it to like the Final Four, and every time they play, everyone has to talk about the scandal they're involved in in the NCAA. So for me, I, I tried to ride a couple of these teams that I think everybody's a little cold on. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, for me, um, I didn't necessarily follow the college basketball scene as uh, seen as closely as uh, probably many of our listeners. I don't think it even necessarily requires that to win a pool because I think it's more about no, you're you know, right. math. And, and like you said, you know, winning an office pool in Kentucky is probably going to require Kentucky to win. Or, you know, for those people, or if you're going to beat them, you know, if they lose, then you, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, you have to take a contrarian approach. I, I think that's a great point that you made. If you're in a nationwide pool versus a local office pool in Kentucky or in North Carolina, you know, either, you know, an area that's close to Duke or close to UNC, Virginia, that's exactly Virginia. the way that you have to approach these pools. Because um, if you want to win, that's how you have to do it, right? Like, yeah, you have to not, win. You're not you playing have to, guess, to finish but, fifth out of 50. And then say, oh, hey, I had a good year. You want to win the thing. Well, that you can't make up points if the person next to you has the same, the same team. Thing. Yeah, so that, that's impossible to be able to make up any ground at all. With that, ours obviously was a nationwide pool. So you kind of have to and, take and a different I, approach. And I have to, to say, we had, a, we had a great response. I think, this, yeah. I, I think by, uh, this by far was the best response we've had to anything we've done in the last two yeah, years. Yeah, thank you for everybody almost, for uh, joining almost in. Almost 100. We almost got 100 people responding. So, yeah, really awesome stuff. And we'll uh, we'll continue to provide updates. And I'll, and I'll tell you what. It, it, it's, a, it's, significant, it's a significant number just in terms of I get it. Like, it's a lot sexier to lay down 25, 50 bucks, 100 bucks for, you know, a gigantic pool. But this is a little bit different. It's kind of, you know, us and some of our uh, regular listeners, our regular guests. So it's more of uh, something fun. And you're not fun. playing against a million. Like, yeah. if you know you're playing only against 100 people, you have a legitimate exactly. percentage chance to win. Exactly. You don't it's funny because you ever do those like, ESPN bracket? ones, like those general ones, and it says I you're have, ranked 11 millionth, 900. I, I know, one like, year. Where I was sixteen and zero on the first day, and I was tied for first, and I took pictures of that. Oh wow! It was, it was the greatest thing, and it was like you are tied for one out of, like you said, like a billion or however many brackets yeah, yeah. there are. It was amazing, and I was sixteen and zero, and I was in high school. I remember, which was obviously like already like fifteen years ago. Yeah, and yeah. I came to the high school that next morning, just strutting my stuff, of swagging, and I lost, and I ended up going like eight and eight the next day, you know. But just that, just that sixteen and zero was great. We yep. only have a few minutes, though, Mike. We've been so fast. So let's jump into the Game of Thrones because we want to talk a little bit about rulers, the good and the hey, bad. One, yeah, definitely. One more quick uh, Go ahead. Yeah, Mark Bennis thing. I love it when you have a number one that you're backing absolutely dismantle a 16 or a number two dismantling a You know, Gonzaga right now up 25 to 6. There's less than 10 minutes to go in the first half, and your opponent has six points. How demoralizing is that? And I have Gonzaga to win the whole thing, and I have in a pool that I'm in, which is really fun, where we pick the players, and it's only based on how many points each of the players score. I have Rui Achimura, um, and so I need him to score a lot of points and for Gonzaga to keep going. He was my first pick, and Gonzaga does well, and he does well. I'll, I'll do well. Only a few minutes left, Mike. Let's jump into some of the rulers. I mean, you talk about rulers, and right off the bat, I mean... From the beginning, you see how things go with uh, 
the Baratheons, Robert Baratheon, and we have Ned Stark kind of taking into most a, underrated, uh, by the way, ruler of all time. Robert is Robert was awesome, Baratheon. right? He just loved Robert crap. Baratheon. He just didn't give a crap. He just was all like, he wanted to do was go boring and whoring. Fun, What's wrong right? with that? That's all. That's all any man really wants to do. Let's be honest. And <laughs> and, and then you, you go from from Robert to Ned, and then you see some of the other leaders, like you know, like Cersei. But then when I think about the whole show in particular and for how, you know, at least the first half of the show, the first four or five seasons, uh, someone like Tywin Lannister, right, who is not even a leader, but he's actually a leader, moving all the pieces behind the scenes. And then we think about some of the miserable, awful leaders. You know, I mentioned Cersei, but then you have Joffrey with Cersei. You have Ramsay. I mean, there are some... There are some horrendous people. Yeah, and if people are, are wondering, we're kind of, when we say leader or ruler, ruler we're yeah. talking about, people you know, because charge. you have all these uh, families that uh, that are, uh, t- you know, what's it called? Why am I blanking on the term that they always use? The head of, the, the, of a certain, like, the north or of the south or these uh, you submit fealty to the oh my my gosh i'm blanking but the bottom line is each area is kind of ruled by a uh, a family that has a banner and you you swear your allegiance to them and you know you're you're to bring your army to support them when needed and that type of thing so um you know ned was that for the north house stark right and uh, obviously you know you just mentioned ramsay the boltons kind of uh usurped their way and and uh in the, at the red wedding, and we're able to take over. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of really nasty leaders. Who are, who are the good leaders? Obviously, Jon Snow is a leader of sorts because yeah, he was John. the leader of the, the I mean, watch. John's good, and I think even Rob, Rob Stark. You know, like Rob Stark, he want he to me is one of the more kind of natural leaders in that he's not squeaky clean, but he's not bad. Yeah, but right? you know what his fatal flaw was? It was actually falling in love and marrying with falling an outsider. Right? Falling in love. Isn't an that outsider. All, somebody that was and, not you know, from the what North. What I loved about Rob is that he was willing to do things like he was willing to go against his mom if he had to do things that were, were for the good of the North and not even necessarily just his family. So he, I thought, was a really underrated leader. Obviously, it didn't work out. But um, and then we see with, you know, with Danny and, and now towards the end. Uh, and John, I think they're two of the, the better leaders. Stannis was one who was not a very good leader no. at all. No, not one that no. we, uh, we wanted to follow. Uh, not neither is Renly. Renly was a little bit, he just wanted no. to have fun. fun no, not you know really. Did, but, and then no. you had like uh, the other uh, Tomas, right? Who just didn't really know what was going on. He was a little he kid. kid. He was just a kid. He really was. He was kind of thrown into it and he was a little overwhelmed, you know? Yep. But Mike, yep. we don't we don't have a lot of time today. And we had so much going on. We'll let's be able to have get some of this, this combo next week next as well. Week. Then. Yeah, let's 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 shift over the combo. We'll talk more Game of Thrones. We'll get into a little more baseball. We'll know what the bracket looks like a little bit more. Why don't you close things out for us? Yeah, we'll we'll talk a little six sweet sixteen opening day baseball. Our baseball predictions. I know we both did pretty well last year, so we'll try to give everybody some winners on who's going to win each of the divisions as well as the World Series. So enjoy a great great sports weekend, and we will see you same time, same place next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.